0: the letter written by Jude. There is no chapter in Jude, at least to distinguish one chapter from another. Jude's very short letter is just about a page in my Bible, but it's one of the most important and potent letters that you and I find in the New Testament. It is deeply applicable and relevant to you and I today. We are focused in particular on the words of Jude from verse 20 to verse 23. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you To eternal life, be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them, to others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corruptible flesh. From Jude's perspective, our faith is a very critical issue. He says two very important things about faith, one in verse 3 and one in verse 20. In verse 3, he said, Dear friends, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith. And then he said in verse 20, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Jude wrote his letter in response to alarming situations that had developed in the church and become very pervasive. It wasn't just one church, it was numerous churches. For as we have noted, when Jesus, approximately 30 years later, dictated to the Apostle John Letters to seven churches in Asia Minor, he rebuked and called to repentance five of those seven churches. The doctrinal corruption and the spiritual laxity that Jude saw in his day was still very pervasive when Jesus dictated those letters through the Apostle John. In the most urgent tones, Jude implored followers of Jesus Christ to fight for their faith, to consider it their most prized possession, to not neglect it or take it for granted, but to make sure that they were systematically strengthening their faith. Build yourselves up. Pastor Samuel is an architect. He knows well that there is a rigid procedure to building. You can't build anything else before you build the foundation. You don't even see the foundation. It goes in. The ground is backfilled against it, but if you don't get it right the rest of your house will be worthless. You might be in a hurry to live there. You might be looking forward to that wonderful den, that great kitchen, and that great bedroom. But if you don't get the foundation right, the rest of it will be worthless. A builder could not overstress to you the necessity of detailing the foundation appropriately so that it can carry the weight according to the soil conditions, so that no water permeates through the walls of the foundation to produce mold and dampness in your basement, so that it is structurally sound with the right amount of reinforcement rod, so that it does not crack and eventually your doors won't close, your windows won't open. It is critical. You and I need to be engaged, as Jude tells us, in systematically building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. This issue of faith is critical. Jesus, at various times, characterized His disciples as having Little faith. No faith. A lack of faith. Absent faith. Where is your faith? He said to them. Imagine this. These men have been with Jesus. They have watched all that He has done. They have seen His power. They know His authority. In fact, They've been able to accomplish things in His authority, and yet He will say to them, O you of little faith. You see, it is possible for us to rub shoulders with the work of God, the moving of the Holy Spirit, the proclamation of His Word, and still go out into our week and be people of little faith. It is possible to raise our kids in church and they be exposed to people of great faithfulness, consistency, and godliness. And yet, for our young people to have very little faith of their own in their own walk with God. Faith is not something that you and I take for granted. If it were possible for the disciples to find themselves with little faith and absent faith, how much more possible for you and for me? Do you remember Thomas' reaction to the disciples when they told him, Oh, we've seen Jesus. Well, unless I can touch him and see him with my own eyes, I won't believe you. And Jesus revealed himself. And then what did he say to Thomas? Because you saw, you believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Faith is critical. For you and I will not see what Thomas saw. We will not touch what Thomas touched. And yet we are called to have an unshakable faith. Jesus warned of people turning away. From the faith. Now, if someone turns away from the faith, it means that at one time, they were in the faith. But the day would come when people turned away from it. And so turned away from it, that they will betray others who still profess the faith and walk in it. In other words, they will be totally against it, with the spirit of Antichrist dominating their spirit. Jesus wondered if he would even find faith anywhere on the earth when he returns. Do you believe you have faith this morning? Do you believe that you are looking for the return of Jesus Christ? Yet Jesus would say to you and I this morning, Conditions are going to be such when I return that I don't know if I will find you still having faith. Those are very sobering words, aren't they? The Bible emphasizes from the prophets through the writer of Hebrews that the righteous will live by faith. That the only way for you and I to be in a right relationship with God is through faith. The righteous will live by faith. And the writer to Hebrews warns against a faith that does not persevere but shrinks back. To the person that shrinks back, God says, I will not be pleased with that person. Without faith, we are told, it is impossible to please God. So let's begin with a definition. What is faith? In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. In its simplest definition, faith is believing in someone or something. We've been practicing faith for a long time. Faith is when our children were little, and they were standing up on something, and we would say to them, come on, jump. Dad will catch you. And our children would respond to us and say, I'm not sure if you will or not. Are you sure you are strong enough to catch me? My weight combined with gravity... Will you be able, do you have enough strength to catch me? Do you have the dexterity to grip my body in the right place when I jump? I think the chances are greater that I will fall to the ground and hurt myself. No thank you. I don't trust you. Is that the way that it went? Without a second thought, You're my dad. I know you love me. You're big. You can do anything. I'm jumping. Simple faith. And what did Jesus say? Unless you have faith like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So faith at its simplest is believing someone or something. Now, faith always involves the unseen always. If we see it, it's not faith. If we have it, we don't hope for it. But faith is being confident of what we hope for. Faith always involves the unseen and the unverified. Now, after the first time that one of our children Jumps when we tell them to and catch us, what do they know? They know that any time that they jump, we're going to catch them. It's been verified. But that first time, there's no verification. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were sent to the fiery furnace, there was no verification. There's no record of what God did for other people who found themselves in the same situation. But they were confident in the Lord. On the other hand, the people of Israel, when they got to the Red Sea, after all that God had done, well, He hadn't opened the waters before. We're going to die here. They had no confidence in God, no faith. Because faith always involves something unseen and unverified, it requires trust in what is unverified. And trust, in turn, leads to action. Always. Faith in something that is unverified, that requires trust. It requires trust if we're being scammed. We only end up being scammed because we actually believed that what that person was saying was true. We trusted their word. We handed over our bank account numbers, believing that they would put $5.3 million in our bank account, only to find out that, what, there was nothing in our bank account now. But we trusted. it remember that Jude is writing his letter because a lot of things are being said and people are believing those things. They're trusting them. They're acting upon it because trust always leads to action. And the failure to trust likewise leads to action. We're going to do something with what is said. We're going to believe it or not believe it. And you and I are called to take the words of God at their greatest weight and greatest authority and then act upon them. Paul wrote to the Romans and said that your faith produces Obedience. Always there is action with true faith. There is a precedent for faith. You and I do not blindly believe without any evidence, even though faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We read the words from Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was made out of what is invisible. Many people have a hard time believing that there is a God. Can't see Him, therefore He doesn't exist. And so they look for a rationale for what is in existence. But the Word of God declares that what is in existence is our precedent for believing in God. That when you and I look around us and we see the heavens, the stars, when we see the images of the Hubble, the soon-to-be images that will come from the Webb telescope, all of these things are evidence, Scripture says, for believing in God. The words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God's invisible qualities are understood from what is seen. So when you and I see nature, we see the stars. We look at our own bodies. We look around us at how everything functions. It is evidence that there is a God. It is evidence as to the nature and the power of God. You know, I like to talk about snow. So, we had a little bit of snow this week, just a little bit. Let's say that it snowed in front of your house, just a small area. All the snow came down in a five-foot-by-two-foot area. There wasn't anything on your cars, none in your driveway, none in the rest of your yard, just five feet by two feet. Now, scientists tell us that you cannot find two snowflakes that are the same. So you set out to prove whether or not they were right or wrong. And you began with one square foot. Leaving nine, you took one square foot. And you began to examine those snowflakes under a microscope at a rate of one a second. Boy, you're moving on, aren't you? Pick it up. Put it on a slide. Put it under the microscope. Examine it. The next one. You can't even say it as fast as you would be examining it. One at the rate of every second. You would finish that one cubit foot of snow 100,000 years from now. God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Although God is invisible, the evidence or the precedent for believing in Him and recognizing His character is displayed in creation and nature. Furthermore, you and I also find that The choice to believe or not believe in God is intentional. There is a critical aspect of needing to believe in God that is found in our own sense of conscience and guilt. From the time that we are children, we assert our will against that of authority. You and I see it in the grocery store, don't we? You can't have that. I want that. I said, no. I want that. And when we say, I want you to do this, no. When we get a little bit older and we tell our kids to take the garbage out, okay, I will. Hour later, we ask them, did you take it out? I'm getting to it. Did you finish your homework? I'll get to it. And we know in that moment that we need to give an answer that gets us out of the issue because we know we didn't do what we were supposed to do. And God has given every person this conscience and they understand that there is right and wrong. And to go against the revelation that God has given is intentional. For although... They knew God. They neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Our own sense of conscience and guilt. So you and I have the created revelation of God around us. We also have the spoken revelation of God. The spoken revelation of God, His character, attributes, and purposes have been given to us, the Scripture says, through the prophets. The holy scriptures, Paul wrote to Timothy. Now, these holy scriptures, and those are the words of the Bible, you and I on the front of our Bibles or the spine of our Bibles, what does it say? Holy Bible. That's not our attribute to these pages. That's the words of the Holy Spirit himself. Second Timothy chapter three in verse 15. That through the Holy Scriptures, the words of the prophets came. So the Holy Scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it is the truth about the holy God. The next aspect is that the full revelation of God's truth and God's purposes has been made known through Jesus Christ. And so you and I have this progression to revelation. There is nature that displays God's eternal power and invisible character, His divine nature. Then there are the words spoken through the prophets, and then there is the final full revelation that comes through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time except God the one and only who is closest to the Father. He has made the Father known. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, one of the things that we said during Advent is that you and I cannot accept Jesus unless we also accept the purpose for which God sent him. We cannot accept Jesus unless we accept the purpose for which God sent him. Why did God send him? Because of sin. To make a sacrifice. To atone for sin. So that God would have a basis for forgiving sin. Therefore, faith in Jesus Christ is saving faith. It can't be any other faith, and we can't accept Him on any other basis. That is the basis on which God sent Him. So faith in Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, is saving faith. And it results in justifying faith. It is saving faith because we believe that we are unholy and sinful, and therefore we are under God's judgment. It is saving faith because we accept as true that Jesus Christ is God's one and only Son, and that He is the only one who is capable of saving us from God's judgment. That is why it is saving faith. And that is justifying faith because in trusting in Jesus Christ and in believing that He died for our sins and was resurrected to eternal life, God in return is forgiving the judgment that is against us and He credits the holiness of Christ to us. Now, friends, this is Salvation 101. We've been here dozens of times. This is something that we should treasure, be able to articulate and confidently explain to other people. Saving faith, justifying faith. God does not forgive us because He loves us. He can only forgive us because Jesus died in our place as an acceptable atonement for sin. And on our basis of recognizing that we are sinners and trusting Jesus and what He has done, God forgives us. That is why it's the good news. That is why Everyone needs to hear it, because unless they hear it and know it, they are without excuse under the judgment of God. The only way that we are excused from God's judgment is through our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in believing in Christ, we are accepting the entire revelation of Scripture as true and critical for salvation and eternal life. What is the importance of this statement? First of all, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, You have known the Scriptures from an early age. What Scriptures? The Holy Scriptures spoken through the prophets. Where did he learn it? He learned it from his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Did he have a Bible like ours? No, he didn't. Did he even have something that resembles ours? No, he didn't. Where were the scriptures learned? How were they read? They heard them when they went to the synagogue. There was no New Testament. There were no printed or personal editions of the Scriptures. And yet, Timothy's mother and grandmother had been convinced of the words spoken by the prophets, which, Paul said, clearly revealed Jesus Christ and Timothy from your infancy. You have known these scriptures that make you wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, when you and I share the message of salvation with an unbeliever, what verses do we use? Verses like John 3:16, Romans 3:23, Romans 6:23, from Romans chapter 10. How many times do we go to the Old Testament? and share the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ from the words of the Old Testament. Remember Philip encountering the Ethiopian eunuch? What was the Ethiopian eunuch reading? The prophecy of Isaiah. Those were the words that Philip used to bring him to faith in Jesus Christ that led him to being baptized in Christ. You and I have even more than what Timothy had and those words of Timothy, the words that Timothy heard, were sufficient, Paul said, to lead him to salvation in Jesus Christ. They were the words of the Old Testament that reveal the sinfulness of humanity. When the Apostle Paul writes Romans chapter 3, and he said, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is his conclusion to everything that he has said previously, quoting from the Old Testament to underscore emphatically that you and I are so utterly sinful that we are worthless in the sight of God, and there is no remedy and there is no answer except through the righteousness that has come to us through Jesus Christ. Again, why is this so important? Well, in Jude's day, There was a lot of misinformation. And things that the apostles had taught concerning Jesus Christ were being tossed out the window. Here's a better way. Here's a different way. There has been misinformation concerning God's will and God's purposes from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. The serpent came to Eve and said, Did God really say? That's not the case. This is the real story. There's always been disinformation. Jesus warned against that disinformation. You will hear that there is a Messiah over here and a different way over here. Make sure that you do not believe any of it. We will hear people saying, God is love. Jesus is love. But Jesus came in response to our sin. We don't divorce one aspect of who He is and why He came from another aspect. When we accept Jesus because He is the fullness of revelation, we are accepting the entire Word of God as true because Jesus Himself is the Word, and He is truth. Thus, coming back to Jude's words, our faith is a most holy faith. It is the truth about a holy God. It is revealed through the holy scriptures for the benefit of unholy people who can only be right with Him through the holiness of Jesus Christ. This is a most holy faith. But the question comes back to you and to me. Is your faith a most holy faith? Is your faith a most holy faith? The Apostle Peter writes in 1st Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, These, speaking of trials and difficulties, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. The genuineness of your faith, Peter says, of greater worth than gold, even though refined by fire. Now, again, as we said, Jude wrote his letter in response to misinformation that was infiltrating the thinking of many churches. Does that sound like today? Indeed, it does. So much misinformation infiltrating churches The hearts, the minds, the thinking of people. It sounded good to people. They liked it. And so they believed it. What a terrible basis. That is why people get scammed. It sounds good. They like it. And so they believe it. It is a horrible basis for faith. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, just at the end of his life, in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, he said, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with all patience and careful instruction. But the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The Apostle Paul warned the Thessalonians, that in the last days, people would not love the truth. Instead, they would have a greater love for a lie, for a delusion, and they would abandon the truth of God. The value or the sacredness of our faith, its quality, its durability, require that we build it up and contend for it. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, this is what enables you to overcome the world, even your faith. You and I do not overcome the world in any other way. Our faith. The goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls, our eternal life. And yet, as Jesus has warned and the apostles have warned, there are many people who start out who will not receive the goal of their faith. Jude was writing to warn people, don't take your faith for granted. Don't assume that just because you know what you already know that that will carry you through. Jesus warned that in the last days, the level of deception would be so great that if God did not cut those days short, even the very elect would be overcome by the power of that deception. Listen to me, friends. You and I must not take our faith for granted. He said, build it up. Systematically, one brick on top of another, build it up, build it up, build it up. Note something interesting that he says. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up. What do you see in that phrase? One of the things that stands out is that we have two plurals. You dear friends, build yourselves up. He doesn't write in the singular, he writes in the plural. The Apostle Paul wrote a short little letter to Philemon. And he told Philemon that you strengthen your faith by sharing it with others. What's interesting in that verse, is that the word sharing is not related to evangelism. It's the word for fellowship in the body of Christ, koinonia. You and I strengthen our faith by having fellowship with one another. The writer to Hebrews warned people, That they needed to encourage each other daily so that their hearts did not become susceptible to the hardening influence of sin. And then he spoke of those in the Old Testament. They heard, they saw, but they did not combine it with faith that would lead to action. And so it was worth nothing to them. Now, if you and I leave today and we forget what we've heard, it's worth nothing to us. You and I need to combine it with action. We need to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter six. This is an excellent example. Of a way in which you and I build ourselves up in our faith. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 6 through verse 8. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Verse 7 Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols. On your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates." In your home, constantly be talking about the commands of God. Constantly have conversations. Parents, do you know the amount of time that your kids spend online? playing video games? How about the amount of time that they spend in the Word of God or you spend with them in the Word of God? Turn with me to Acts. Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul is traveling through the province of Macedonia, and they go from Thessalonica to Berea. In verse 11 of Acts chapter 17, Luke writes, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. This is interesting because Paul has the greatest commendation for the Thessalonians because of how they received the word. They received the gospel not as the word of man, but as the word of God. It transformed their lives. They abandoned their idols and their idolatrous ways. And they began to live for the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, the change was so dramatic in their lives that the story of their conversion, Paul said, was being told all over the provinces of Macedonia and Achaia. And yet, Luke said, the Bereans had a more noble character, because after they heard Paul preach, they went home. They studied the Word of God, the Old Testament Scriptures. They studied it to see if it was true. They built up their faith. What are you doing to build up your faith? Parents, what are you doing to build up the faith of your children? It's not sort of a piece of sticky paper that we come to church and we catch whatever is flying around through the air. Or that at home, whatever we say happens to stick. There is a long list in the New Testament with the actions that you and I are called to take with regard to our faith. When the podcast and the notes are posted on Tuesday. I'll include some appendix material. Parents, if you do what the Bereans did, you will go home and you will study the Word of God with your children. You will have them listen to the podcast this week. You will have them write an outline or an essay so that their strength is built You and I cannot resist the power of deception except through the Word of God. Even Jesus Himself, our substitute in all of His holiness, found it necessary to use the Word of God to deal with the temptations of Satan. Nor can you and I do anything for the Lord unless we have built up our faith. It will be impotent. It will be powerless. And the only way that you and I will still be standing when Jesus returns is if we have been putting on the armor of God, taking up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and having been fighting for our faith, because Satan is fighting every day to erode your faith and to cause you to fall short of God's calling and God's goal for you. Build your faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace that operates in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is so faithful to continue to draw our hearts and continue to reveal Jesus to us. It is by grace we have been saved and it is by grace that we are kept by your power. And Father, we are grateful for your faithfulness, especially when we look around and we see those who have fallen away, those who have believed another gospel. Thank you for what you have done in keeping us. And yet, oh God, if we are honest with you, for many of us, we have allowed things in our lives that at one time we would never have allowed. There are aspects of our walk with you that are no longer present that at one time were present. There are many who are not among us any longer today. We thank you for those that are somewhere else still following you, but we know that's not true of everyone. And your word says to us to take heed, lest it also happen to you. And so, Lord, we want to be transparent before you today, and we want to say, I need your spirit to stir my heart. I need you to give me a renewed, hunger and thirst for your presence. Lord, we pray that in our personal lives and in our homes, there will be no superficial attention to the word of God and that we will not fit it in here or there in the midst of everything else that we have to do. But it will be a sacred faith, a most holy faith. And that we will displace other things, but other things will never displace. Our time with you. Our time in your word. Our time seeking your face. Lord, do this work in us, we pray. Because when the end comes, we want to be standing in faith. Receiving the goal of our faith eternal life through Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.